Oh, man. That that trip was something else. It's just nice to do some good old-fashioned game shopping for a change. I know. And look at this, like, collection. Like, Le- Millennium's got, like, more games, it seems. Yeah. Wait, what the heck is this? Texas Chainsaw Massacre Operation? What? Wait, wait, wait. No, look at this one. Look at this one. Look. Okay. Baldur Gate Clue. Okay, I, I can kind of understand that. There's lots of different weapons in Baldur's Gate that could be murder weapons for Clue, but okay, this one's just odd. Mickey Mouse Mouse Trap. Why would you want to trap Mickey Mouse? Well, you, you do know that that mouse kind of rules the world. I mean, at some point in time, someone's got to take him out. Mm, fair. What's this one? Young and the Restless Clue. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, that that that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, yeah. Oh wait, here's a new version. Here's a new version of Star Wars. Guess who? Uh, wait a minute. This is the Clone Wars version. They're all clones. They all look alike. <laughs> we should uh, get that for we should get that for Chris. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh my goodness. What else do we got here? What else? Let's see. What else? What else? What else? Oh, hey James, look at this yeah. one. Look at this one. What's this? Betrayal at House Hill, Scooby Doo edition. Okay, that that makes all the sense in the world because that's basically a mystery game. It's 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 a horror game. It's like Lovecraftian horror. Like I've never seen that in a Scooby Doo episode. Well, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, I'm sure they've done it. They've done so much Scooby Doo stuff. But, oh God, I think I may have found the most unwinnable board game yet. What's that? Australian Emu War Risk. Yeah, there is no way anyone can win that one. Oh my God, who? Seriously, like, who comes up with these things? Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is. Welcome once again to Gaming Street Irregulars. I'm James Irish. With me is Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone. And as you've probably surmised from both the title of this podcast and our little intro skit, we are talking about intellectual properties being pasted onto classic board games. Which at times could make sense, and then there are times where we go, What? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. It all started innocently enough with a version of Monopoly themed to Star Wars. Which makes sense, I I guess. Like, I mean, I had episode one edition, but like, even then I was just like, okay, we're just slapping names on a board now. Yeah. I mean, it, it suppose it makes sense if you're playing, if one player is the Trade Federation. Mm-hmm. Risk would be a better setting for that. Yeah, and there's certainly been iterations of Star Wars Risk, but... So, what we're going to be looking at are the unusual, the downright unlikely, the ones that fit almost too well, and the various myriad games that have gotten caught up in this, thanks to a company called 
USAopoly, or just the op, as they're known. Mm-hmm. They have been going into overdrive, applying licenses to not just Monopoly, but Clue, Risk, Jenga, The Game of Life, Codenames, Munchkin, Talisman, Smash Up, all sorts of different games. And the results have definitely been unusual. To say the least. Just to give you an idea, there is even websites of the of, of that actually list the weird but true Monopoly games that have been put out by this country. By this company, sorry. One well, is Heinz Ketchup. Wow. I will allow you all to kind of to understand. There is one purely dedicated to just Heinz ketchup. I should get that for my dad as a gag gift. He puts ketchup on everything. If you do, at least you need to open the board and take a picture because I'm like I still can't like wrap my mind around what the game board looks like. Like I really can't. Well, supposedly Heinz has 57 varieties, so that's more than enough for properties. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, it's like what? And of course, like, USAopoly isn't the only company doing this. Hasbro themselves are very much in on the act, too. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the mechanics for Monopoly and a few other of these board games are in the public domain. So there's been Rochesteropoly, Fredoniaopoly, Dogopoly, Catopoly, all without the actual Monopoly license or trademarks. Yeah. And there's even Opoly Games. They will actually custom design any board you want. Um, they actually do it for fundraising. So if you are a group like in your group and you want to create an Opoly game for your cause, they will create it for you um, so you can use it for fundraising. And that's pretty much they act. They're very strict that it you have to be a nonprofit to be able to do their boards, but they do it for cities. They do it for church groups, school groups. All Would they that. do it for a not-for-profit comic convention? Hint, hint, Chris and Dan. Hint, hint. Membership and service organizations. I think we fall under that one. You know, and I mean, they give you different pricings on their websites and stuff. So if you're someone who runs a nonprofit and you're just looking for something, a new thing to do, check them out. But, um, by the way, Opoly, we need a cut of the profits. Maybe. <laughs> Donate to us. We'll keep promoting you. But it's very, like, this is, like, it started off as, like, a cute little, like, oh, because remember, I had Rochesteropoly when I was in college back in, mm -hmm. and we used to play it whenever any of us from Rochester got homesick. Mm. But, I mean, it was, like, that cute, quirky, like, hey, look at that. That's cute. Now it's, like, hey, look at that. They got 50 billion different varieties. Calm yourselves. And we will start by going over a list of 19 of the weirdest Monopoly versions right after yeah. this break. All right, Chrissy, you got the list. Let's hear them. 
All right. So the first one we did talk about was Haynes Ketchup Monopoly. The whole ketchup board game is kooky enough, but how can Haynes possibly fit an entire Monopoly board with spaces based on ketchup? A better question, though, is who would buy this? Uh, after that is QVC Monopoly. The products, the properties are actually products from the QVC network. And it actually has quality and value cards that actually say things like, you received an invite from Kathy to buy something nice. Collect $100. Okay. I'm, I'm not kidding. That, hmm. that, apparently those are actually cards. Batman and Robin Monopoly. Not based off of the cartoon. This is based off of the Batman movie. So they pretty much out of all of the movies, they chose to make a board game out of this one. So the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze and Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Yep. And Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl, Chris O'Donnell as Robin, and George Clooney and, as Batman. Yep. Complete with bat nipples. Hey, got to give some gir- the fangirls something. I, I think that one was probably produced when that movie was new. Yeah, well, I have a feeling is, well, at the time that that movie came out, that was kind of the start of the whole specialized Monopoly thing. Like, hey, look at this. But even still, it's like, what? Like, just base it off the classic the classic DC comic. You didn't have to go for the movie. The next one is called Ghettoopoly. Oh, no. So this one was pretty much widely distributed. It's not an official licensed game. I have to preface that. Thank God. But it has been distributed wide enough to offend pretty much everyone who saw it when it first came out. I'm not going to go any further than this. All I'm going to say is it took the stereotypes of what ghetto is and put it on a board game. And whoever decided that was a good idea needs to be drug out into the street and shot to quote my favorite orange cat. Oh, no, 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 okay. no, no. That That is just utterly tasteless. I do not want to know what chance of community chess cards look like on that. No, neither do I. That's why I'm kind of like skipping over like the description and going to the next one. Uh, next one, to, to go on the further end, we have completely offensive that leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth, too sickeningly sweet, Powerpuff Girls Monopoly. Oh, well, they, they were a popular enough franchise. Yeah. Warning contains enough. This is actually the warning that the guy who wrote this list put down. Warning contains enough sickeningly sweet cuteness to kill a puppy. I don't know about that. I mean, there were some episodes of Powerpuff Girls that got dark. Well, that's well, we got to. If you look at the guy who um, who created it, he's the same person who came up with Courage the Cowardly Dog and Dexter's Lab. Are we surprised? And wait, Samurai Jack. Wait, wait, wait. Kennedy, Kennedy Tartakovsky didn't create Powerpuff Girls. That was Craig McCracken. But but Jenna, but um, Craig McCracken. Yeah, you're right. Craig McCracken did, but. He actually, um, Jenna, that would, he actually started on Powerpuff Girls before he got his break with Dexter's Lab. Okay. Okay, those, those cartoons were commissioned around the same time by Cartoon Network. Uh, yeah, when they, they were, were all, yeah, when they were doing it. So what happened was, was Craig McCracken, when he did Powerpuff Girls, he was also, he was working with uh, Jenity. Okay. So they were part. They they worked together on a lot of stuff together. Which and was Marty various... Grabstein was the guy who created Courage. Yes, and he was friends with them too. Hence, why sometimes you'll see some crossover between them. Sometimes, 
if you look hard enough. Well, Pemmy would be able to straighten this out. Oh, I'm going to, I will, I will always bow down to Pemmy because he knows cartoons better than I do. I just know I like to watch them. Let's go back Anyhow. to the monopolies. Dot-com monopolies. So if you guys didn't have enough of the dot-com boom and bust of the 90s, you can now play it as a monopoly game. And the board looks like a computer desktop. And are, uh, are the prop- do the properties include things like Google and Ask Jeeves and like that? Um, I can see eBay, iVillage, eSite Home, Yahoo, eOnline, AltaVista... I can't see. Oh, Parker Brothers. They, of course, they had to put a Parker's Brother icon on there. The game pieces include a desktop PC, a hand cursor, an arrow cursor, a surfboard. Their joke. A flat monitor, a flat panel monitor, a mouse, the animal, not the hardware, an envelope representing email, and a microchip. You know, with the microchip shortage going around today, I wouldn't be surprised if people tried to use that in a computer. Yeah, I don't think it would work the way they think it would. No. All right, now this one here, I have to say, I will totally, I need to find this to give it, to get it for Dino. So before there was the Starbucks Monopoly, there was Bean Monopoly. And Bean coffee Monopoly, beans. it was Coffee Beans. It was created by Late for the Sky Publisher. And this one actually looks kind of cool. I actually probably would play this one. It looks like the icons were coffee pot, coffee cup, a smile, a coffee bean, a coffee bag, and a donut with a bitten into donut. This one actually, out of all of these, this is the one that I'm looking at. They, they actually have the actual board up here. I would kind of buy this. Okay. Not going to lie. That one actually kind of well, looks cool. I'm Strange. glad it's coffee beans and not uh, baked beans. Yeah, that would blow somebody out of the water. Right. All right, next up is HP Invents Supply Chain Monopoly. This is a monopoly for the corporate shark. Supposedly has the real-world application of helping you own all 22 steps in the supply chain, whatever that means. Okay, so capitalism, the game, becomes even more capitalistic. Pretty much. This one I should get for Jerry. This is Fishing Prize Catch Monopoly. Guaranteed to be as every bit of exciting as Monopoly, the linoleum edition. And that's the website's quote. Wow. <laughs> then there is the Grateful Dead Opoly. Okay, we need to get that for Laura. I know, I just, unless she already has it. Monopoly, the BBK Clinical Research and Development Edition. So this actually has an interesting story behind it. Um, This was given out to the attendees at the Drug Information Association Conference, and it's rather tongue-in-cheek. It's kind of making fun of research and development in pharmaceuticals. It celebrates the billing of empires via Big Pharma. Of course, those who would be building it are actually the ones playing this, so I guess it's something they can play when they get tired of counting their money. Okay. But this one, but I'm actually looking at parts of the board, and the and it actually has like unless you were in, like research and development or worked in a lab, like randomization of results, uh, non-disclosure agreement filing fees, like I mean, it's, it's the stuff that's in here is stuff that is actual terminology that someone who is in chemical research would know. So that's kind of to me that's kind of cool. All right, so the next one is Sephora Monopoly. Okay, uh, I'm not familiar with Sephora. You should talk to Anne. 
because Anne, it's this one's up Anne's aisle. The, pretty much Sephora is to cosmetics. Okay. It, pretty much take the, the the last one I just read, and instead of saying pharmaceutical, put in cosmetics for all the references. Okay, that that's definitely a niche appeal, but I, I can see somebody liking that. Next one next is Sun Made Monopoly. So if you love your raisins, there's a Monopoly board for you. I'd actually put that as weirder than the makeup. Uh, and then the next one is General Mills Monopoly. Oh, cereal boxes. Yep. And this also, not just them, it also includes Hamburger Helper's Helping Hand, the Betty Crocker Spoon, the Green Giant, the Pillsbury Doughboy. So any General Mills uh, mascot is in this one. We should get that for Pemmy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he'd like that. The next one after that, for all of you uh, drinking fans out there, is Brewopoly. There, I'm not surprised. There's probably a million... You could fill a, an aisle of a game store with just booze-based Monopoly clones. This is fair enough. Now we're going into probably a realm of Monopoly I think you would actually enjoy. Okay. There is Ultraman Monopoly, which no list is complete without a healthy dose of quiche Japanese culture. And then Thunderbird Monopoly, winner of the Mon most unnecessary Monopoly of all time award, according to the website. So based on the old marionette show from Great Britain. Pretty much. Those things were just look weird. Yeah. But when you watched them, you're just like, wow, this was popular. And you kind of laugh a little bit. Uh, there's Medical Monopoly for those of you out there who want to play, who are medical people. Uh, this is actually kind of interesting. This was another unsanctioned knockoff. You play, ag one, play against one to three friends trying to fill your own hospital with patients. So it was kind of a flip on it. Um, the player who fills their hospital first wins, just like real life. And last, but most definitely not least, Dutch Hound Monopoly. Yes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, not just on general dogs, but one specific breed. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. I'm, I'm, I'm positive there's monopolies for specific, other specific breeds. I imagine there's a Corgi, there's a Welsh Terrier, and on and on. So apparently there is... Also, some people now in the comments, people have added some extra ones that they've seen. They have Dutch Homonopolis, which is Monopoly based out of the Netherlands, where it has gay bars on the board rather than streets. Someone put up US UPS Monopoly. Okay, Monopoly for uh, a parcel delivery company. That just that is unnecessary. And then someone put down, you forgot about Super Mario Brothers Monopoly or Zelda Monopoly. Yeah, but those are going to sell because those fan bases are large. I know, but I kind of sat there and was just like, when I read, just read that, I'm like, I kind of want the Zelda one now just to see how they do the board. And then the other part of me is going, no, bad Chrissy, you can't buy anything else, you're moving. So that are the 19 plus weird but true actual Monopoly boards that have been made. Now, the the setting I saw that recently got its own Monopoly that just seems like it's so antithetical to what Monopoly is about 
you know, ruthless capitalism and hoarding of wealth and land. That none of that comes across with the media property of the Care Bears. And yet there is a Care Bear monopoly. Yes. I saw that too, and I'm like you have gone too far. Of course, then again, the Care Bears actually, before they actually became like the huge licensing pro- pro- uh, property they are now, actually started out as greeting cards. So, Oh, they... yeah, yeah. Via the, the firm, those characters from Cleveland, who also came up with stuff like the Get Along Gang, the Popples, mm-hmm. and Madballs. Oh, my God. I found my Popple from my childhood when we were, go- when we were cleaning out stuff. We'll talk about that later. Hee-hee. <laughs> The crazy I, shit we're finding in my house. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say it. There's chocolate Oh, my God. Zombies only Opoly. And I'm not even looking on lists. I just typed in Monopoly knockoffs and, like, hit enter. And, yeah. There's Sesame Street Monopoly. Uh, again, big fan base. It's going to sell. Although, how, what are they going to do with just one street? I know. Seriously. They have Jurassic Park Monopoly. Kissopoly. Oh, that that one must use song titles. It has to, yeah. Uh, NFLopoly. Somebody combine Monopoly. Oh my God! Someone combine Monopoly with Aggravation. Uh, I, I think that's most anybody who's played Monopoly and started losing. <laughs> Fair enough. Which, but, but Aggravation is kind of the bastard child between I'm sorry and trouble. Oh. Okay. You and I, I'll have you over to play it because we actually have boards, handmade boards here that Jerry that Jerry makes. Whitetailopoly, for those of you who are hunters. And then the, oh, Geekopoly, make your own Monopoly. Oh, there's a few of those out there. Bird Spottingopoly, Realtreeopoly. All right, Every... just, just toss a couple more so we can keep moving. Oh, I'm done. Because oh. I'm like, there's too many. There's way too many. Okay, good. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't keep going. The rabbit hole is too is too deep. <laughs> now, the, the thing about all these Opelies is almost none of them add anything new to the core game. No. But that's mostly because, uh, you know, th- those rules are in the public domain. And they're like, okay, we can make a quick buck just slapping our license onto this or USAopoly just has the license to, to use the core rules. They don't have the rights to amend it in any way, shape or form and still call it monopoly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Hasbro themselves has, have actually taken monopoly in a number of very unusual directions. I want to specifically mention monopoly arcade Pac-Man edition. Hmm. Because I've seen yes. this at Target, and it comes with a little LCD Pac-Man miniature uh, electronic game that you play whenever you pass Go. And apparently that influences how much you get when you pass Go. So th- that's a very unusual take on the Monopoly format. It's, a, it's, a, it's also a very stripped-down board. Every set of properties is only two instead of some of them being three. And instead of the railroads, it looks like it's warp tunnels. So I think there's some going back and forth on the board functions going on there. We need to buy this just so we could play it and then tell people even more about it. This this looks like it deserves its own episode. 
Yeah. This and is Space Vader Jenga. That's the other one we need to play. Well, I did get to play Space Invader Jenga, finally. So I want to definitely tell you about my experience today. Because it's going to be short and sweet, like most games of Jenga. <laughs> yeah. Because the way, because, you know, of course it has the traditional Jenga rule set, but there's also a rule set that puts you in control of alien invaders trying to descend to Earth. And to simulate this via Jenga, they have these little plastic pieces that you stick into the short end of the Jenga pieces and a spinner that tells you how many spaces you move down and how many Jenga pieces you have to remove while you move down. And it's the quality of the components where this really falls apart. Because, one, the spinner is garbage. <laughs> it's more of a... I, I try to spin it, it only moves like three spaces, if that. It doesn't get any actual, quote-unquote, spin. And the little plastic pieces to represent the player aliens, mm -hmm. they're of uh, varying looseness. Because if you're trying to remove and then insert a, uh, little, pe a little plastic peg into a wooden block that's part of a stack of other wooden blocks you're trying not to knock down, you need those things to be really loose. So you can just whoop and slip them in. But that's not always the case. Oh, no. Every, anyone and, who's ever tried to put anything together knows that if you'll have one or two, that'll be like pop, pop, pop. And then you get that last one. And it's like, nope, not going in. So you could very literally end the game just while you're trying to move your character and not while you're trying to move the, the actual Jenga pieces themselves. Oh, my God. I think our game only lasted about six minutes. How much swearing was there? Um, not a lot. But uh, John won. Oh, good, good. Yay, John. And... John seems to have the best luck with games between his D&D &D character being able to take out a whole bunch of people without armor. So, yeah, you know, that, that formula for Jenga has been applied to a bunch of other properties in, mm -hmm. You know, the whole plastic piece moving up or down the, the Jenga blocks. It's been done with Donkey Kong, The Amazing Spider-Man. Fair enough. And Bob's Burgers. What? Yes, apparently uh, they're adapting a specific episode where, where Bob and a rival were playing this video game called Burger Master. And, and you're, sim you're simulating uh, them climbing the... It's a Burger Time pastiche. And they're simulating that. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, so they, they had oh. to dig a little deep in order to get that to work, but yeah. it they made it work. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the history of Monopoly? Okay, sure. So, here's the interesting of Monopoly. Charles Dower, uh, he is credited as the creator of Monopoly. And this is actually was incorrectly done on behalf of Parker Brothers. They have actually falsely claimed that he was the creator of Monopoly. Monopoly actually was evolved out of a different game. And the woman who created her name was Les uh, Lizzie Magpie. She created a game called The Landlord's Game. And then Charles kind of took that game and adapted it to 
America. He actually had just lost a job, and then he was watching his neighbors play this game where they buy and sell properties. And he turned around, and he based it off of where he was living at the time, and he turned them into streets rather than just actual buildings. And so, he cre- and Monopoly came out of that. Yep, all based on Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, the Landlord game was a critique of monopolistic practices. It was. It was making fun of it. All right. You know, it was, it was social commentary, which, you know, you don't think of for a board game outside that, of your, outside yeah. of certain uh, party games. And she was creating it to teach people to show that rent that people were playing was only, was only enriching the owners. It wasn't helping the, the tenants at all. So it was trying to show, it was kind of like she was trying to teach people that, hey, rent isn't for, isn't in your best interest because you're renting and you're giving it to these guys and you're getting nothing back. Mm -hmm. And especially at a time when rent was out of control, um, there was no rent control back then. Your landlord had the right to increase your rent almost every single month if he wanted to. Okay, yeah, that that's heavy stuff for a board game. Yeah, but it was done in a way to teach people, like, hey, you're paying rent, but what are you getting out of it? Like, And actually, her game kind of helped change up the whole rental situation. It took time, but because people then began to understand the fun to... It's kind of... This game was used to teach people about finances. Poor people about finances. Because now we have all of these rent laws to stop property managers and landowners, for lack of a better term, of taking advantage of their tenants. Because now there are these laws in place that stop that and say, nope, you can't. Then that's known as uh, renter's rights. You know, you can have a you can have a lease, but if it goes against what is in the basic renter's rights, the lease is considered invalid. And a lot of that came out of what uh, Lizzie Magpie, Maggie did. But yeah, Darrow saw what she did and took it and adapted it to Atlantic City. Um, he actually was rejected a couple of times by Parker Brothers because they kept saying there was errors in the game. Hmm. And even before the Landlord game, there was another game that was fairly dark. I've seen the original board of it it's kind of like it's kind of like a cross between monopoly and the game of life okay where it's by pro you could buy and sell properties but then you have like death disease like all of these things that can kill you so you're making money but hey you got to be careful because you could die well that's no fun i know so you're like i well, looking at this board game and reading the rules it's the most depressing game i think you could ever play in your life <laughs> It's not cute and happy like the Game of Life and Monopoly is. It's pretty dark. So speaking of the Game of Life, even that's been getting in on the licensing trend. Oh my god, yes. And I still can't believe they made a version based on the Disney theme park ride, The Haunted Mansion. I know. I was when I saw it, I'm like, this is good this is this is horrible. Wouldn't that technically make it the game of undeath? I think so. Yeah, I saw that, and I was just like, I kind of want to play it at the same time. I'm like, no. No, this is scary. Like, oh, look, oh, come on, it's a lot of mansion. It. It's all tongue-in-cheek. 
true. And of course, the Haunted Mansion was created because Walt Disney was worried that the ghosts of all the old houses that were being torn down wouldn't have anywhere to go. So he kind of opened up his mansion to this mansion to them. Yeah, it's a retirement home for the world's greatest ghosts. Or you know the B list. Um, oh man, I could go. I could talk for di- for an entire podcast on just haunted mansion lore and creation, and I, I love that ride. Do you know they actually? Do, do you know they actually found the original paintings that hung in the original haunted mansion? Oh, I believe they, it. Because they changed the paintings out. It was an episode. They have to of because Pawn... of wear and tear and fading. Yeah. They it was uh, on Pawn Stars. Which was the one episode I watched because it just turned it on. And they had a guy who brought it to the guys in Vegas and said, listen, we think we don't know if these are the original paintings, but they've been sitting in our attic for 40 to 50 years, rolled up in, in, in Muslim and, and just to protect them. And one of the, the grandson of the original painter of those tapestries came and looked at it and he knew what to look for for his um, for his for the signature. And he's like, yep, these are the originals. Now, were these the stretching room portraits or were these the changing portraits? These were the, the, the stretching room portraits. You know how you were on there and it would go down and you yeah. suddenly would see the rest of the portrait of how they right, died? Right, yeah. It was those. It was the one with the lady on the one that on they the showed rope. with the alligator underneath. Yep. Yeah, okay. it was that one that they showed. And they said they had others and apparently they were all original and... You know the 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 guys who run the pawn store said you should you should contact Disney and see if they want the originals back. Well, I imagine they would. Yeah, apparently what it, the story was was when they took them down and put up the old ones, the the person who was in charge told them to take them away. They didn't you know get rid of them, and the person, I guess the person who was changing them saw what was like these are going to be worth something someday, considering how popular this ride is, and just squirreled them away until somebody wanted them oh tangent mark Ding. <laughs> so so the game of life oh and there's a list for this one too okay let, let's let's see there's some highlights all right so there's the electronic banking edition the twist and turn edition what, the star okay. well, go ahead what's that uh, twist and turn edition one like uh, puts it's pretty much where you can test drive different lifestyles and experience the twist and turns of life itself. Okay. You know how before you used to have the go to go to school, don't go to school, have a family, don't have a family. This one goes even further, where you can actually try different lifestyles and then go back to the original one. Here's one you'll enjoy: Star Wars: The Jedi Path Game of Life. Mm. Are you a Jedi Knight or a Sith Lord? Choose your path. There's Game of Life Junior. There's Game of Life The Empire Edition, which has different brand names such as Puma, Yahoo, Universal's Parks and Resorts, the Xbox, and more. You have to collect six different brands and to win. Symptoms Edition, TripAdvisor Edition. What? Yes. Yes. They have one here where it's the TripAdvisor edition where you can make your own exciting choices and determine where you're going to do with your life based off a TripAdvisor. That is lame. 
didn't say it was smart. I mean, these are just the weird ones that are apparently were made. There's the Zapped Edition, and there is the first edition, Game of Life, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the 1960s game, Game of Life. So it, it's a recreation of the original Game of Life. Okay. And just to let everyone know, Game of Life was inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame, as was Monopoly. That was actually the first. Game of Life was the first uh, Toy Hall of Fame induction ceremony I was allowed that I actually helped take part of and helped set up. Okay, cool. And I still remember Sean. He played the graduate. He was ahead of our uh, admissions at the time. Mm. And he, he, he went up, he did it, and, he, as, and as they were taking pictures with the press... Um, he goes, wow, now I know what it's like to feel poor again. Oh. <laughs> like, he was just, I mean, he, just, he was just like, wow. Because he was dressed up as a college graduate. And then when he came out, the head of our um, hosts, Claudette, she was pretending to be his mom, taking pictures, going, that's my boy. Like, we started doing that because John Stewart picked, actually commented on uh, a toy induction a toy hall of fame induction ceremony and we made national news for i think this was, was around when the stick was inducted yep when the stick was inducted he goes what's next the ball and was like no dude the ball's already in there so is the box so we decided after that if they were going to comment on what we were putting in the toy hall of fame we might as well give them a show <laughs> so we used <laughs> that was the start of the skits we were just like, well, if you're going to pick on us, you might as well give you something to put on TV. Well, admittedly, it made for some good patter, but then Bob Lonsbury decided to stick his nose in it, and then it just all went downhill. <sighs> Bob Lonsbury needs to shut up about stuff. Let us have fun. So, all right, that's enough of local politics and our commenting on them. Yeah. yeah. All right, what's next? Who's next on our, our list of things? We've already did Clue Yes. Well, we didn't talk about the licensed clues. Oh, that's right. We did not talk about license clues. We just talked about the other crazy clues. So, stop yelling at me. Computer. And probably my favorite of these licensed versions is Game of Thrones clue. Yes, that just makes all the sense in the world as a as a license to put to associate with clue for for one thing, but for another, what they do that's really neat is the board is reversible, and the characters you're playing as depend on which side of the board you're on. So you have one that's at, uh, that's a, what that's in Westeros proper at, at the, uh, at the, at the main castle, whose name is escaping me right now. Oh, um, uh, it's been forever since I've watched King of, Land, of Thrones. There's Winterfell in the North. There is the yeah. keep, which is where the Lannisters are. There's King's Landing. There's... King's Landing, yes, that that that's where that's where the first board is, and the other one is where uh, Daenerys has been holed up for a, a, a few seasons, uh, where oh, where she's um... been dealing with the harpies. Oh, um, oh, where's Dino when I need him? He knows this stuff out like the back of his hand. Mm. Oh but God, you... I know what you mean. If you're playing on the Westeros side, then you've got the option of being. Cersei and and Jamie and uh, Littlefinger and the and their ilk, and if you're on uh, the the side for Daenerys's court, you've got uh, you've got Grey Worm and Missandei and Tyrion and and that group, and they have their own separate rooms associated with. So you're, you're technically getting two clue boards in one. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. 
So for Clue, they do have a list, but it's the best Clue games you could buy. Okay. All right. So a little different than the other ones, but you're like, here's some weird versions. I can't, they didn't come up with any weird versions of Clue. There's The Simpsons, The Office, Big Bang Theory, Seinfeld, Scooby-Doo, which makes total sense to me. Oh, yes. Legend of Zelda Clue, which I don't have yet. I want that. Mm. There is Twilight Zone. Tower of Terror. My mom's making faces at me now. The Nightmare Before Christmas Clue. And there was a Haunted uh, Mansion Clue. There was a Haunted Mansion Clue. I just, it's not on the list. So there were, there it is, 15, 15 clues. I think that was 15. Nope, wait, that was not 15. Where's the rest? Of, oh, Game of Thrones, the one you talked about. Supernatural. Star Wars Clue. I'm interested to how that works. The Golden Girls edition of Clue. Okay, I can tell you how that one works. You're trying to determine who ate the last piece of cheesecake. Fair enough. Which is funny because none of the actresses on that actually like cheesecake. It just happened. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Haunted Mansion Clue. Harry Potter Clue. And the number one top clue is Classic Clue. Of course. This is the classic 1949 edition. Oh, and it goes right into Risk. Okay. Yeah, Risk has has definitely had fewer opportunities to uh, branch out because of the nature of the game. You know, you have to have a very sprawling world full of factions to make it make sense. You also need a lot of time. Yeah. So Risk has had things like Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. I've seen Rick and Morty Risk. I have have here Risk the Asterix Edition. We don't know what Asterix, well, you guys don't, most Americans don't know what Asterix is. Right. It is, it's a comic out of Europe. Belgium. Belgium. And it's hilariously funny. It follows these two characters trying to fight the Roman Empire. And they're this one little city in, Bel- in, 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 part, of the Nor- in part of the Nordics that the Romans cannot conquer because they have this special serum that when they drink it, it makes them extra strong. <laughs> so it's kind of, but they go on these crazy adventures just to kind of, you know, keep the peace. So I think that would be kind of fun to play. I think Asterix Risk. There's Risk Rustic, which looks like it's the old style game and it's made of wood. Okay. It's a puzzle fit game board. That's kind of cool. There's the Onyx Edition, which looks like also known as Risk Faster and Risk Reinvention. Halo Wars Risk. That makes sense. That does make sense. Here's your Lord of the Ring edition. By the way, it currently goes for $200, apparently, because they have the price next to them, apparently. I'm not surprised. That one's probably discontinued, and uh, it is it's considered, a popular franchise. It, 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 it's considered a rare collector's item. Then there is Metal Gear Solid Risk. Napoleon Edition Risk. Risk the Black Ops Edition. And only a thousand copies of this was made. So this goes for about $549. Castle Risk, in case you want to go back to the old way of doing things. And then Risk, the 40th edition, which goes for $878. Jeez, the bigger risk would be opening up the wallet. I know, seriously. Okay, that. That looks about it. Nope, these are anticipated games for 2020, which just already came and went. So, bye-bye. So, yeah. 
Oh my God, who would have thought there were so many different versions of Risk? Yeah. Now, this trend is proven popular enough with the board games in the general consumer space, mm-hmm. as we've just illustrated for the past almost 50 minutes now, that some of the more uh, hobbyist level board games are starting to get in on the act too, especially now that adult board gaming is really starting to take off with properties like Settlers of Catan and Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride starting to find shelf space along the traditional favorites of your Monopolies, Clues, Life, Scrabbles, and Risks. Mm-hmm. And so where there's money to be made, the, the, the IP holders are not far behind. No, they are not. And probably the most prolific of these so far would be Munchkin. Oh my god, I love Munchkin. Munchkin has always been a variant game, though. Like, Munchkin was never really just Munchkin. It was always, they always had variations of them. Like, even Oh, yeah, the... there's been Space Munchkin and, and Super Munchkin and uh, Horror Munchkin. Munchkin. Oh, yeah, Steve Jackson Games, when they backed Munchkin, oh, my God, that was the smartest move they ever did. Mm-hmm. And the th- cool thing about Munchkin is you can combine the decks. You're not stuck to just one. You like you can do Munchkin and Space Munchkin and Super Munchkin, and you can just put them all in one deck and play. That's the cool thing about Munchkin is you're not stuck to one theme. You can mix all the themes together and say, here you go, guys. Have fun. Now, for those who don't know what Munchkin is, it's basically a uh, the most stripped-down simulation of a tabletop role-playing game experience you can get. You yeah. create your character. You kill the monsters, you loot the room, and then you kill more monsters, you loot more rooms, and so on, and so on, and so on, until you reach level 10. Mm-hmm. Then you win the game. And they actually, it's its called uh, Kick the Door, which is entering the room, loot right. the room, kill the monster, loot the room. And you have, you have your choice between the three actions. If you kick the door and it's no monster, you get to loot the room. If you kick the door and a monster, you have a choice of you can fight the monster if your level is equal to or greater than the monsters. If you do, if you're low enough, you can ask for help from other people at the table or you can sick the monster on them. And your purpose, the game is to get to level 10. So you can ask for help, and if no one wants to help you, obviously you die. Um, And we'll get more into detail on this game when we do its own podcast. Oh my god, this game is so much fun. You create so many friends and you make so many enemies during this game, but it's just the the artwork is just just great on these cards. Yes, by John Kavalik. Mm-hmm. But it's the licensed versions of Munchkin I want to look at, because some of them make perfect sense, and some of them don't. Well, that's because they ask the fans what they want, which is great. It is. So you get things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Munchkin. Okay, we can see that. Marvel Superheroes Munchkin. All right, lot, lots of different enemies there that can be that can be monsters to bust up. Rick and Morty Munchkin. Okay, weird flex, but okay. <laughs> DuckTales Munchkin? I could see it. It's a bit more of a stretch. But sure, why not? And there is, then you get into Wonderland Munchkin. Yeah, that that one's that that one's uh, from Steve Jackson themselves. That's not based on the on the. That's not using the movie iconography. That's just uh, 
general uh, Wonderland. And that's yeah. the same with Munchkin of Oz. Because mm-hmm. they couldn't get the rights to it. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they wouldn't need to. Again, Wizard of Oz is public domain. Oh yeah, they just can't say they just can't say Wizard of Oz. They have to say they use the whole the main thing. There's Adventure Time Munchkin. That that makes some sense. There's um, what's the other one that they have that was kind of funny that they did. Oh, the good, the bad, and the Munchkin. Ah, yes, Western version. Yeah, the different packs. Munchkin, Munchkin very rarely goes into a specific license. They do a theme because they can get away with more with the theme. And that reminds me, maybe instead of just doing a podcast talking about Munchkin, we should just do a Let's Play. Oh, my God. That would be so much fun. They have a Disney's Munchkin. Yep. That And it's not like Disney. I mean, it's like the Disney princess characters, which is a little weird. Yeah, I, I'm just having a hard time picturing Princess Aurora kicking down a dungeon door and uh, and using a broadsword to slash through uh, Captain Hook. Well, I would almost say I could if they do it. Well, it depends on how you play Sleeping Beauty off as. If they do it like like she's awake all the time, but if they do it how Fables, the comic book Fables, plays her, she can fall asleep. What she as long as she pricks her fingers on a needle, she'll fall asleep, and everyone within a hundred within a hundred um, foot radius falls asleep with her. So could you imagine she goes in, pricks her finger, falls asleep, demons asleep? Yeah, but then then she's got to rely on someone else to wake her up. Just has to be a prince that kisses her, even if the dog's name is Prince, which is was actually does happen in the comic book where she's woken up by a prince kissing her, and it happened to be a canine dog named Prince. So the last board game I want to talk about, since we're starting to come up on time here, mm-hmm. is one of Tanya Metris's favorites, Talisman. Ooh. This is the surest sign that people see big bucks in applying intellectual properties from outside a game's universe to that game, because Talisman is old school dungeon crawl board gaming. It is a ponderous game and you got to be really dedicated to it to, to finish a round of a, a game of Talisman. Yeah. This is, this is one of those games, Like, if you get a good group playing it, it's a lot of fun, but it's also very long. It's almost as long as some D&D campaigns. USAopoly has only done three licensed talismans. Mm-hmm. And they've been interesting choices. It started with Batman Talisman. But you're not playing as the Cape Crusader or any of his allies. You're playing strictly as the villains. Woo! Which is actually kind of neat. That is kind of neat. And there's Kingdom Hearts Talisman. That that's kind of cool. Is, that's a property that makes a, a good deal of sense to be a- adapted to that. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a Star Wars talisman. Naturally. But you know, instead of just simply being, oh, you can, we're gonna throw any Star Wars character at the wall. Of this, they're very specific, it, much like the game of life you were describing earlier, mm-hmm. where you have to choose Jedi or Sith, and they have six characters from either side that you can choose from. So you've got, so you've got Luke and Ray, and you've got Mace Windu and Ahsoka Tano and and Qui Gon Jinn and one other who I forget for the Jedi's, 
and for the for the Sith, you've got Vader and Darth Maul and Kylo Ren. You got the Seventh Sister from Rebels, which is a really neat touch. Now, did you know that Talisman actually got translated over into an actual video game? I've got that game on both PC and Switch. Nice. Because I just saw that where it's like, this was also a video game. What? <laughs> yeah. So, and also, it's interesting. Talisman itself also, it, it's kind of gave off a, a spinoff to it as well. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games announced Relic, which was a board using the Talisman system. But it's set in uh, Warhammer 40,000 universe. Um, right. So that was kind of a, a flip on that. Yeah, kind of a. It strikes me as funny that Talisman being a Games Workshop property in the first place, mm-hmm. it took Fantasy Flight Games, a third-party group, to apply Games Workshop's biggest cash cow to Talisman. You'd think they would have just done that in-house. Sometimes, sometimes though, with, with, with certain, with, we've seen it before with gaming companies, where they'll they'll actually take a. They will actually um, outsource a big property, a spinoff game for it to another company because they're just like, we're too busy with like right now. I'm pretty sure I guarantee you games and workshop is still is probably so busy just doing Warhammer that it was like that. They were like, yeah, you know, this is a good idea. Yeah, just just ship it to these guys. That way, if it doesn't work, at least we're not wasting our time on it. Makes sense. So they probably did that. But what really kind of brought Talisman more recently into the forefront uh, for gamers is the Big Bang Theory. It was it was it was shown to in several episodes the main characters playing Talisman. Well, I guess something good had to come out of that show. Well, a couple of good things came out of that show, even though we're all like, "This stinks. This is not what geek culture is." You get yeah. something out of it. Yeah, I, I don't want a tangent on that show. We'll, we'll, we'll just stop right here. Yeah. Now, real quick, the last thing I, I, I just thought of one other thing I wanted to mention, because we mm-hmm. did briefly say, talk about Operation at the beginning. Oh, my God. Operation. I've The one Operation takeoff I want to mention that gets a little, okay, this is probably the opposite of, of wanting to save a patient. It's Spider-Man Operation, where you're supposed to be playing as Dr. Octopus operating on Spidey. The villain has won! Listen, sometimes the dragon wins. Sometimes the dragon wins. Well, I don't necessarily consider dragons to be villainous most of the time. I mean, of course, that's another tangent altogether, too. So, let's see here... I'm looking to see if there's any weird ones. I, have, I know I've seen Nightmare Before Christmas Operation, SpongeBob Operation. There's Rudolph this... the Red-Nosed Reindeer version of Operation. Well, that's appropriate. We've already got the red light nose. Finding Dory. Dr. McStuffins. Okay. Fallout uh, Special Edition Operation. All Cars right, you're probably two. operating on Pip-Boy. Uh, Olaf edition operation. Is the light on that one orange? I don't know. It doesn't say. Bummer. There's your Spider-Man one. Star Wars Chewbacca. And it's like a baby Chewbacca too. And I think there was a C-3PO one also. 
Probably. There is a Toy Story 3, SpongeBob, R2-D2, BB-8, Hulk, Despicable Me, Trolls, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, Family Guy, Noah's Ark. Okay. Um, hmm. Hmm. Y'all are taking this thing way too far. I just want to state that. Like, you care about my opinion. So, what do you think would be the most appropriate license to slap onto an existing board game that you can think of? That I can think of? Right. Rather than just going the craziest or the silliest, what would make the most sense? Well, they kind of, like, Scooby-Doo and Clue make the most sense to me. And and honestly, any real license, like, I like Scooby-Doo and Clue. I like Game of Thrones Risk sounds. Oh, my God. That show is just a game of risk being played out. Mm-hmm. I want to say the one that would be interesting to see would be, because I'm a huge, huge Cthulhu, a huge Lovecraftian fan. I would love to see a Lovecraftian version of Risk. Okay. Now, the one I came up with from would be for Monopoly. I mm-hmm. think Wolf of Wall Street would make too much sense for that. Oh, good God. Isn't Wolf of Wall Street just a live action version of Monopoly? <laughs> like Possibly. That- I actually, the one version of Monopoly we did not talk about that Hasbro came out with, and it was it was actually like a refresh version, is Monopoly for Millennials. Hmm. Okay. And it took it in a different direction of buying and selling properties, but like renting, making kind of financial decisions on stuff. It. I saw a version of it, and it looked really cool. It's a different. It's it's an updated version of Monopoly. Okay. So, we didn't really talk about it, but that's one to throw out there. If anyone wants to try to have a refresh version of Monopoly, there's that one. It's called Monopoly for Millennials. All right. If any of you have a particular favorite uh, mashup of a board game and another intellectual property, let us know in the comments on uh, Facebook, and we'll be happy. we'd love to hear your stories. But in the meantime, we're going to mm-hmm. take a short break, and we'll have all our usual uh, end of podcast uh, talk right after this. the irregulars head over to www.patreon.com backslash fc3roc we're part of the media division of flower city comic-con based in rochester new york we're a non-profit group everything we make off of patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests if you pledge any amount even a slim dollar you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at 
K-R-I-S-S-I at FC3ROC.org, and me at J-A-M-E-S at FC3ROC.org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool, and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. And now, for this day in video game history, in 1991, today in July 1st, was the release of the very first Duke Nukem video game. Now, Dang. Yeah. Yeah, now now we think of Duke Nukem today as the 3D version of Duke Nukem, the the crude shoot everything uh, pastiche of action heroes turned up to 11. <laughs> this mm-hmm. iteration of Duke Nukem was a little different because I actually had this first game on the PC and on it Duke was uh, not quite fully formed as a character just yet. This was a primitive scrolling shooter in the same vein as Contra, but, you know, a PC couldn't quite handle the smooth scrolling at that point just yet. So instead, you wound up with this little pink-shirted version of Duke just kind of aiming around, and he and at the beginning, he talks about getting home in time to watch Oprah. <laughs> so there was still a little bit of the Duke Nukem we all now know and. In- Sometimes they're like, what the hell heck is this? Yeah, but it, it hadn't quite grown into its final form. Yeah. They even had to change the name because um, it had, the original spelling of Duke Nukem with an E was actually already a character on Captain Planet and the Planeteers, so they had to change it to a U. Okay, yeah. yeah that, that, I, I so, remember that. And then when they realized that, no, they, they didn't trademark the name, uh, it was never trademarked by Captain Planet. They just thought it was. So then they changed it back to the E. <laughs> so this poor guy had more name changes than anybody. <laughs> well, fortunately, we're not changing the name of Flower City Comic Con, he said, transitioning awkwardly. To, tra- to, guess what's coming up in September, everybody. Yep. Our fifth edition of Flower City Comic Con is September 25th and 26th at the Total Sports Experience in Gates. And we are expecting to do a panel for you guys there, as well as uh, a a cartoon podcast panel for my other show. Of course, you can go to www.fc3roc.org for the full guest list, all the events, all the all the fan groups. And everything else that we have scheduled so far, we'd go over the list again, but I need to save my voice because I got another recording at 3 o'clock. Indeed, you do. So if you want to check out the list, the complete list is on is, is on the website for FC3, Mighty Monkey Corporation. Um, so just check it out anytime. We do have, it's a very full con this year. I think we're making up for losing a year. Yeah. So 
you know, come go and check it out. You know, come and join us. You can come both days, one day, Saturday, Sunday. Come say hi to us. We'll be walking around. Indeed. And until then, thank you so much for tuning in to Gaming Street Regulars. On behalf of Chrissy, I'm James. See you next time and game on. Bye, everyone. Thank you.